lawsuits and legislation, COVID healthcare rabbit holes, spirituality, and a biblical worldview. From North Carolina, Mindy Sportsman and Tara Niebaum are two citizen moms. Hi, I'm Mindy. And I'm Tara. And we are Two, two citizen, citizen Moms. Welcome to our Independence Day episode. This is our 4th of July weekend episode that has taken us five days to actually <laughs> record. Yeah. I think we're on 475 of two weeks to slow the spread. Is it two weeks to slow the spread or to create this episode? It might be both. As celebrating our independence has taken on new meaning in the last two years. Yeah, a lot of us have been asking the question, is there anything left of our independence to celebrate? I think there is because there's a lot of fight left in a lot of people. A lot of people who don't feel like they have a voice. We have a big voice. We like to talk about it a lot. I think- I feel like you're the loud mouth. Yeah. No? We could take a vote on that later. Okay. Yeah, we'll do a poll. Yeah. But for us as a, a collective in America, for us fighting for our independence, there are many people that have come here from other countries. Mm. We are ground zero. The immigrants are the ones that are fighting and yelling the loudest, I think, than a lot of our own homegrown born American, mm -hmm. red-blooded Americans. So yeah, I do think we need to fight and we're ground zero. If, if we lose it here, we can never regain it. So are we actually free? I think we're losing our freedoms for sure. Mm -hmm. I still consider myself free, but I have a lot of restraints on me now. I think we would live in an America where a governor would have the right to tell you when you could or couldn't leave your house, whether you could or couldn't run your business, whether you could or couldn't go to church. No, and, and or if you're gonna go get medical care mm -hmm. or decide to not go because you're going to be denied your right to breathe mm -hmm. or that you're going to be tested if you do need a shoulder sh surgery or a knee surgery, that you are going to be doing things against your will. Mm -hmm. That's so, not free. So did you ever envision an America in which communist public health policy, like testing, tracking, tracing. It's gonna know. be part of your everyday life. No. So it's, for me, it's been hard. I've actually contemplated putting on Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American and laying in the corner in fetal position, sucking my thumb, if you want me to be honest. Yeah. Not gonna do that. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, but it really, it's been sobering. We were talking yesterday about how Fourth of July has always been one of our favorite holidays and how last year and again this year, it's bittersweet. It actually doesn't feel like a celebration of independence. It's almost a reminder of the dream that was America. What's the way forward? What do you think the way forward is? I think the way forward is actually looking back. I've actually been spending a lot of time in the last few weeks reading. Mm -hmm. I, I reread the Declaration of Independence. I would suggest everyone do that. This morning, I actually got up and read Washington's farewell address. He says so much in that address that it relates so perfectly to t today. He gave warnings at the birth of the country about what the death of the country could look like. And it has, it has so much to do with people taking responsibility for their own government. That's absolutely correct. And civil disobedience is part of that. Our country was birthed on the, the principle of civil disobedience. And understanding what you know is to be true 
and what is a lie. And that's been a line that a lot of people don't have. They don't even have that discernment. They don't understand their history to understand that they are not standing actually in truth or are standing in a lie. And it was interesting because from the beginning of this, we talked about how I think it was Franklin who said those who would exchange essential liberty for safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And we've watched people in the last year, year and a half, literally exchange all of their fundamental freedoms for the illusion of safety. And I I think what's most shocked, I really am shocked that we're finding ourselves this weekend under the same level of tyranny that we were a year ago. And we said at the beginning, the government's never gonna flip a switch and give you your freedom back. You're gonna have to fight for it just like our founders did. And what was it we heard this week that they're already talking of masking school children again for another year, mm-hmm. yep. more potential lockdowns, the quote unquote Delta scare. And so we're in a dogfight for freedom. I think it would be interesting if everybody went out there and asked one simple question over this uh, holiday weekend, which you'll be hearing this a little bit later, but you could ask it any day. Do you love America? Do you love America, Mindy? I do. Me too. So I was one of those that had the incredible privilege of being raised in a home where my parents taught me that freedom was my birthright. And I knew that from a small child. And they really taught it from both perspectives. Freedom is your birthright in Christ. If you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and freedom is your birthright as an American. And they always taught us to cherish it and to never squander it. And I think one of the ways we found each other was that we were out there on the street shouting that message as loud as we could. And and we still are. Mm -hmm. So, And recognizing um, our soldiers who have fought to keep us free. Absolutely. And we're going to continue to do that today in a really special way. So just to shift gears a little and give you an overview of everything else we have, uh, we plan to pack into this episode. Yeah, uh, we're actually going to start taking a look back at the history of the mandatory vaccination in America, specifically the 1905 Supreme Court case Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which we had promised you from last week. We're going to explain why we believe this case is going to be revisited in the very near future before the current Supreme Court. We are also so excited to announce that in our second segment, we're going to be interviewing North Carolina's very own U.S. Army veteran, military hero, and COVID-19 vaccine injury survivor, Major Lou Murray, a very dear friend of ours and a very special interview you will not want to miss. You won't want to miss it. Finally, we're going to be giving you an update on where things stand with HB 572, our latest legislative call to action, our guerrilla advertising challenge, and what you can do to help restore constitutional freedom and fight for medical tyranny as we encourage you to come alongside us in the second American revolution. Stay tuned for a fire hose of information you won't hear anywhere else. So as promised, we wanted to tell you a little bit about Jacobson. We had went over that last week that we would include it this week for you. Jacobson versus Massachusetts 1905 is about the forcible vaccinations that happened in the U.S. in our history. So in the 1700s, 1800s, and early 1900s throughout Europe and the U.S., there were smallpox pandemics that had an infection fatality rate of 15 to 30 percent. So to give you some context, it is estimated that the infection fatality rate for COVID-19 somewhere 
somewhere between 0.2% and 1% as a result of the high infection fatality rate for smallpox. Many countries, including the U.S., they began to to require very controversial smallpox vaccinations within various municipalities. So to give you some history on Jacobson, we have to go all the way back to 1902 and visit the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they adopted a mandatory smallpox vaccine for anyone over the age of 21 who had not had one within the last five years. So essentially, Pastor Henning Jacobson decided that he was neither going to accept the vaccination nor pay the five bucks for refusing, stating that both he and his son had been previously injured by a smallpox vaccine. However, interestingly, it wasn't the previous injury that was his argument. Yeah, what was that argument? He argued that God had given him rights in scripture that were affirmed in the constitution that would allow him to make decisions for his own body. He didn't believe that either the mandate or the fine were constitutional. He gave that big middle finger to both of them. That's what I think he did. Do you think that a pastor actually gave a middle finger to the court? Yeah, I'm going with that. Okay, all right. Now, if he did, I'm going to tell you I like this guy. Because it sounds to me like he's a big fan of civil disobedience, which somebody else I know. Yeah. Seems to to enjoy some... uh, Seems to follow me. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Maybe you're a victim. You're a victim, Mindy. Yeah, I'll own it. So to just explain the case without going through all of the... Legalese. all, All the legalese. He goes before the court. He makes his argument. It's a great argument. We agreed with the argument. Had we been on, on a judge or jury for Jacobson, we would have been high-fiving him, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but that's not how it worked out for him. Nope. The judge basically decides that he is going to either have to be vaccinated or pay the fine. Right. They they tried to offer him the vaccine. He said- For free. Yeah, for free. Does that sound that familiar to you? That sounds so familiar. <laughs> Hey, how about we'll put you in a lottery? Oh, I don't live in a state that would do anything like that. Do you? No. Oh, a little bit of coercion. I... <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. So he refuses the vaccine. Maybe if there had been a lottery, he would have been willing. Do you think? No, I don't. Probably not. He sounds like because a man he, of conviction to me. He stood on scripture. Uh, yep, exactly. So he goes, he All loses the he loses first case. Yep. They say pay the five bucks. He argues it to the state, the state Supreme Court of Massachusetts. They say, nope pay the five bucks. He says, I'm going to argue this all the way to the Supreme Court because he truly believed, as you and I do, yeah. that we actually should have the right to be able to have body autonomy and decide what, what goes in our bodies. Absolutely. We don't actually believe that the government should have a right to decide whether or not we should be mandated or forced to take an injection or really participate in any. Yeah, because who gives us our rights? Yeah, uh, we, we happen to believe that our rights are uh, derived by God uh, and not government, that's but right. that's not a very popular belief in 2021 at all not even in the school system yeah so jacobson appeals this case all the way supreme court and and not unlike donald trump looking for some relief in the election integrity supreme court fails him and says give me the five dollars yeah so five bucks in 1905 just to give you some context would be the equivalent of 140 bucks 140 bucks in 2021 yep so more and more, we are hearing that the left-leaning progressives are making the case for mandatory forcible vaccination, citing this, yeah. Jacobson, as their precedents. So but, most wrap up yeah. their argument stating that Jacobson lost the case. The court ruled that Americans could be forcibly vaccinated. Could not be further from the truth. Yep, they, they always like to twist just a little bit of truth. Yeah, sound a little bit like, uh, what is it, 1619 Project yeah. Yeah, or some yeah. of the other crazy stuff that's going on. Yeah. So Pastor Jacobson was not forcibly vaccinated. 
He wasn't banned from nor segregated from society. He wasn't thrown out of the workplace. He wasn't told that he had to wear a mask or we call those what? Face diapers. diapers for the rest of his life until he broke down and accepted this vaccine. He wasn't discriminated against, but he was forced to pay a $5 fine, which he ultimately did when he lost the case. And then he went back to exercising his full, full citizenship, citizenship rights, rights yeah. without experiencing any discrimination or disparate treatment in the community, much less was he held down and forcibly vaccinated. Yeah. So one of the things that this far left leaning historians like you to believe in these attorneys of our time that they're not explaining is that with Jacobson came a landmark court decision that while a democratically elected legislature can impose a vaccine mandate, it is not a blank slate to any government to act as a police state that has the right to govern the body of a human being without consent. There were five basic criteria in the Jacobson ruling that the court ruled a legislature must meet in order to mandate a vaccine. Number one, the vaccine has to be necessary. Number two, the vaccine has to be a reasonably safe and proven intervention. Still has never happened. In 2012, the United States Supreme Court ruled that vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Bet you didn't know that. Yeah. Number three, the mandate must be proportionate to the threat. Number four, medical exemptions must be available to anyone who could be harmed by vaccination or at risk of excess death as a result of the vaccination. And number five, mandates cannot be discriminatory against any group, racial, ethnic, or religious. If the mandate is to be imposed on adults, it must be imposed on all adults. If it's to be imposed on children, it must be on all children. Further, the Supreme Court ruling left the door open for courts to step in and review legitimacy of future vaccine mandates. Once again, it did not grant blank slate police state powers to legislatures or local governments to implement mandates without strict scrutiny. Yes, so most of the people who are following what's happening in the nation regarding this evolution of the police state and this communist-style public health policy believe that we are quickly approaching the day when COVID-19 injections will become mandatory in order to work, go to school, travel, or to patronize a business. We have assurances, quote-unquote, from the federal government that such mandates and passports are not going to come from the state as they know that they would not pass constitutional muster or even meet the burden of proof for the criteria established by Jacobson. So the mandates and passports are being implemented in the private sector. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, so we have no idea how or when a COVID-19 mandatory forcible vaccination case is going to make it to the Supreme Court, but we believe it will be soon, don't we? Based upon the tyrannical abuses of power we're seeing nationwide, I would say there could even be a case here in North Carolina that makes it to the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's that case, the Durham Sheriff's deputy case, right, which one of our local deputies, he was fired for refusing to take that experimental injection. Which is astounding. He was fired in violation of Nuremberg and 21 U.S. Code. So we're following that case closely. We're going to see if that district court judge rules outside the law like the judge in Texas with the hospital workers case Yeah, because we're hoping it'll make precedence and go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, as long as the right person argues it. Yeah. We believe that when that time comes, the person to argue that case is going to be Mary Holland. She's a medical freedom advocate and one of the most brilliant constitutional law attorneys in America. She's the counsel for RFK Jr.'s Children's Health Defense. We love them over there. Yeah, if you're not reading The Defender, you should be. Yeah. If you want more information about Jacobson, though, on 1905, we're going to put a link in our show notes. That's an amazing interview Mary did that will expound on the ruling of how COVID-19 public health policies are pushing us to revisit 
of mandatory vaccination and body autonomy versus the state. We would like to welcome retired U.S. Army Major Mr. Lou Murray to the show today. We consider Lou one of the treasures of the trail. We are so excited about the opportunity to talk with you, and thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you. You know that if we don't stick to the script, this will be a nine-hour interview, right, Lou? You know that. (laughs) So we should probably just jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about your years in the military. I'm a retired infantry officer of 21 years. I went to OCS at Fort Benning, and from there I went to Fort Jackson, where I met Peggy, my sparkle of my life, and my patch of blue. I was an aide to the high-ranking officers there at the post, and then I went on to jump school, and after that, I was asked to be an aide in Italy for a general, and I decided I didn't want to do that because I might lose the chance to, to marry my wife, and I had already asked her to marry me. Yeah. And then right after that, we went to Germany, and I commanded two infantry companies there, mechanized, and won the 4th Armored Division, won the 3rd Infantry Division. And then Susan, our first, was born there. From there, we went to Fort Benning for 10 months of school, and Jenny, our second child, was born there. Shortly after that, I went to jungle school in Panama, and from there, I went on to Vietnam. I was supposed to be an advisor when I got there, but come to find out, they were sending me to the 1st Infantry Division. I met uh, Lieutenant Colonel Al Haig, uh, who was the G3 briefing, G3 for the uh, division. And the division has 15,000 men and three general officers. Wow. And I became uh, the briefing officer for six months. I did that. And then General DePew, our division commander, one night came in and said, what do you want to do for your next six months? And I said, I'd like to be a company commander. He said, you've already had two companies. Don't you want to be a staff officer? I said, (laughs) no, sir, you asked me what I want to do. I'd like to be a company commander. And he tried his best to get me away from that. And I should have listened to what he was saying. He was a very smart man. So what was it about company commander that um, appealed to you? I just liked leading men, and I wanted to make sure if I could do what I did uh, as a leader in combat, because that had never happened before. Wow. So then two or three days later, I got a call on the radio that uh, company commander uh, had been hurt, and I was going to take over the company, and they flew me in right at dark, and I walked around the night defensive position. They had only one officer there, and some senior NCOs, and first Sergeant Cobb. And then I saw a sergeant, and I looked at him. I said, you look familiar. He said, sir, we were down in Panama repelling down a waterfall. I thought I'd never think that would be possible. (laughs) What are the odds of that? (laughs) But two days later, we were going out into a a battalion area that looks like the North Vietnamese would be there. Mm -hmm. The intelligence report had told us that. And that night, I remember leaning against a tree, and I talked with my God a lot. But that night, for the first time in my life, I said, Lord, it's going to be a tough day tomorrow. I hope you're there with me. And it's just like he said something to me. He said, you do the work, I'll get it done. Mm. And the next day in the evening, we got back from 
what we were doing that day. And I said, Lord, I guess you had to be with us because nothing happened to us. And I've mentioned many times in my life, in my Bible, it says, fear not, at least 365 times. And I guess I'm a crazy guy, but I don't, I'm not afraid of something. Mm-hmm. I'm, if something needs to be done, I need to do it with myself or with the help of other people. And then finally, we had the largest operation, and there were three divisions, over 50,000 men. This On September the 26th, 1967, 120 mortar rounds landed on my company. And I was seriously wounded. And I remember my senior medic telling me that we need to get you out of here, sir, that you're not in good shape. And I told him I wouldn't leave until this was over. And later on, I passed out. Then on the 28th of, well, I should say further, they flew me in to a, a hospital, and there was a nurse there. When I woke up, I thought maybe I had died because she was all in white, <laughs> and I, my eyes were not too focused. But I, her name was Lieutenant Beetle, and I ran into her about three years later, which was incredible. But I went to 106 Hospital Japan, and from there to Walter Reed, And that's when the doctor told me somewhere along that way that I would probably never read, write, talk, or walk again. And so how long did it actually take for you to get better? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And uh, then the next uh, two days later, February 28, 1967, a terrible battle. My company walked into an ambush with a North Vietnamese battalion, over 700 men. And 26 of my men were killed. And you're wounded. You're and twenty-eight were wounded. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant David Anthony was one of my platoon, one of my platoon leaders. He was killed and got the Silver Star. And Sergeant Leonard, that I mentioned earlier, was killed and got the Medal of Honor. The one wow. coming down that waterfall. Yeah, but from that time on. So three and a half years goes by and you've regained your strength and all of your mental faculties. Okay, (laughs) We have gotten to know Lou, that's true. But at at what point then you found out that you were going to go back, right? I got orders. Actually, when I was in the hospital at uh, Walter Reed, I got uh, orders to go ahead and prepare for the next time, but they didn't know I was still in the hospital. But... uh, Three and a half years later, I got orders to go back to school to learn Vietnamese. And from there, I'd go back to Vietnam as a district senior advisor. Wow. And I did that. Uh, Went through all of that. Did you get an unexpected phone call, like many years later, with someone in your company? That's interesting. About four years ago, I had a call one day from a friend of mine said, could you tell me what the chain of command was for the battalion when you were there? I said, sure, I can tell you that. I said, but who wants to know? He said, a guy named Ed Chrisman. I said, that's interesting. That name sounds familiar, but I have no face to go with it. It's only been 50 years. I said, do you have a telephone number? He said, yeah. So I called and a man answered the phone. I said, Ed, you don't know me, but I'm Lou Murray. I want you I understand you want some information about the battalion. And he didn't say anything. And I said, uh, Ed, are you there? He said, nothing. I said, Ed, are you okay? He said, sir, I thought you died. 
He was my senior medic that saved my life. Incredible. And he and I talked for a long time. And then I told him it was very close time to have a reunion. I said, can you be there so we could meet again? He said, sure. And we spent three days together. And when we first met, you've never seen two old guys. I'm crying right now. (laughs) And I've heard it before. You have probably figured out by now why we love and admire Lou tremendously. And we've established that you are an American hero in every sense of the word. And I'm somebody that we look up to tremendously. But a God-fearing man mm-hmm. that loves I, I, his family and his country. Though I, I serve a lot of great heroes, every one of them. And I'm just another guy in the bunch there. But uh, And on top of everything else, Lou is incredibly humble. Yeah. So if we were to fast forward to 2020 and the the pandemic, I'm curious if after facing almost certain death in the jungle of Vietnam and recovering from what really should have been mortal wounds only to be sent back, you've definitely faced your share of fear. We want to know, were you ever afraid of COVID-19? I told you a long time ago here that I don't fear. My God told me not to fear, and, and I don't do that. Like people think I'm crazy, but I don't. And I think of those two tours in Vietnam, I used a lot of common sense, but getting back to COVID, the same thing. A lot of common sense with COVID. If God's going to take me, he'll take me. That's right. And uh, That's how we live our life through this anyway. So I just don't fear. Okay, so we've established it wasn't fear that caused you to make your decisions during the whole pandemic. So what led you to make the decision to get the vaccine injection? And did your family support the decision? I always believed in my country. Mm-hmm. My family did not want me to take that shot. I didn't talk with my doctor who had been my doctor for a good while. I should have, but I go ahead, I went and had the shot. And that was Did you not, go to like a clinic or like? I went to uh, Raleigh, Duke Raleigh, and I uh, got my shot. Didn't even feel anything about it. About 10 days later, I got up that morning and I could not walk. Now, when you say you couldn't walk, you literally got out of bed and could not. I, I, I was hanging on to the side of the bed. I couldn't walk. And had you ever had an experience like that prior? This was brand new? Never in my life since 1958 when I started taking shots in the military. And I remember one day I had four shots on my left shoulder and three on my right one. I've had shots from the flu since 1958, I've never had a single problem in any of the shots I've had all these years. And did anyone inform you of the risks? None whatsoever. No one said a word word about it. Okay, so at the 10-day mark, you get up, you can't walk. What is it, if you were not informed of the risks, what is it that made you think that maybe this was connected to the shot? I really at that moment didn't, but I talked with my doctor Mm -hmm. and I said, what's going on here? He said, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And also, shortly after that, my knees swole really bad, really swollen. And uh, that night, it was a Sunday, and it was hurting all night long. And the next morning, I could not get out of the bed. And I'm not a bed person, but I was in bed till 1230 that day. And I ended up trying, my wife wanted me to get up, and I tried to. I got up and walked maybe three feet and sat in a chair. Mm -hmm. 
And, and then I called my doctor again. He said, you need to get to the hospital immediately. So I said, Bob, I can't even get out of the chair. He said, call EMS. So for the first time in my life, I had EMS come pick me up, not counting the medevac in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> but they took me there to wake med. I was there three days. There were six doctors that saw me. And the best care I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, now, at any point during those three days that were you, that you were there, did any of the doctors begin to ask you questions about the shot? Was anybody tying what was going on to the injection? Trying to acknowledge any of it. Now, what else happened is that I had strained uh, sprained my ankle, and uh, they thought. That, in fact, they found out that I did have. Uh, pseudo gout with crystallines and that was one of the main reasons there and it was hurting but I had never seen my knees get like that Mm -hmm. and slowly people were starting to say my doctor said from the beginning that there's some other issues going on and it's basically not what's going on with you this is with this shot Mm -hmm. so we continued to do that and to this day I still have a problem walking right now. I'm not really steady, but I feel great because this is my third day and fourth day in a row I've been walking without a walker. How long has this been going on, the period of time? Which Since shot did you get? Was it that was a Pfizer. Pfizer. And what and day was that? The death, that was the 16th of January. Okay. And it slowly took got to a point where I have uh, blood comes up to the front of my, of my skin where I don't understand why. I didn't get hurt or anything, and I have blood. And, uh, and is this still happening? Yes, right yep, there. Yeah, you can it, see it right it here. It just it's... happened. <laughs> wow. And so when you've and gone... July yeah, and you've consulted with doctors. Yes. Have you shown them what your arm looks I've like? I've shown all of them that. My doctor, because I ended up having a prednisone while I was in the hospital, and I did that for 10 days. And then five days later, I had finished, and lo and behold, I had the same problem again. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, I went to see him, and he he said, I've been a doctor for 20 years. I've never seen anything like this happen. And there, nobody really knows what's going to happen, but I know that there's no way I want to take a shot like this. So if you had it to do over again, you obviously would not. I would not. And you did not take the second one. I did not. In fact, my doctor, he came over to see me. And after the first one, and he said, based on what I was listening, I said, you know, what you tell me, the goods and the bads, I said, I don't think I'm going to take the second shot. Mm -hmm. He said, I was hoping you'd say that. He said, because I've not had it and I will not have it until it is truly a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'll take it then, but not until. What would you say to someone else who is considering taking it right now? That's their choice. Mm -hmm. Under this experimental, not much informed consent right now. I would highly recommend that they get involved with all of the things you find online. Talk with some doctors. Talk with people who've had situations like me, maybe. And then make your decision what you want to do. Now, if you had met someone or you had heard a story like this prior to taking it, if you had more information about what some of the risks were, do you think you would have taken it as readily as you did? Or do you think that would have maybe caused you to say, I think I'm going to wait? If I knew 
what I know now, I wouldn't have taken it. If I had heard from other people, I would not have taken Mm -hmm. it. But nobody really told us what it was. Were you angry or upset by the fact that you didn't get informed consent? That when you when they injected you that day, they didn't say, Mr. Murray. These are your risks. Yeah, these are your risks. And these are some of the adverse you know, effects that we are aware of. And none of those people said anything about that. Nobody. And do you consider that unethical? I do. I do too. I think that it's just they should have told all of us what was going on. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, I think they didn't know what was going on anyway. I think that's true. We're finding medical doctors and nurses at our seminars. And when we speak, that came up and said, I knew none of what Mm -hmm. you have informed us about. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. And and sadly, they're injecting people and they themselves don't even know the risks, the adverse events, the Mm long-term outcomes. So being a man of faith... One of the most important questions that we wanted to ask you is what do you think that God is teaching you through this experience? Because we know that you believe the way that we do, that every single thing in life, God has his fingerprints on, including suffering and trials. And so we wanted to get your perspective on that. I ask God to be with me when I get up in the morning. And at the night, I thank him for giving me another day. And one of these days, he's going to take me. But until that happens, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. That's right. And we consider you very much an inspiration because just even your willingness to have this conversation and to warn people. And we know that there will probably be way more than one person who hears this interview and reconsiders going and taking that shot. And you're probably saving lives just by being willing to sit here and have this conversation with us. I'm glad you allowed me to talk. And and I stay in touch with with my doctor, who's really the guy that really kept me from taking that second shot. I think, though, I don't think I'd be taking it anyway yeah. because of what had happened. Yeah. And he just, there, that just goes to show you there are some good guys out there that yeah. do practice medicine that, you know, that, that are not in it for, for the money or for an agenda who just genuinely care about people. And we were so thankful to realize that you've got a doctor. And I'd like to say one last thing, if I could, that uh, I'm here today because God wants me to stay, be here. And I have a wonderful wife of 61 years, the 9th of September that's coming. And she has been my sparkle of my life. And she has been, I call her my patch of blue when when things are tough. Mm. You gotta love a man who loves Loves his his wife. Yes. And we've met your wife. She is an absolute (laughs) doll. The two of you are an absolute treasure. We're very honored to know you, and we thank you for your time and your love and your compassionate for others. We know that you're also, you also um, help others every day. You're a coach. You're, yeah. You're a, you intervene. Yeah, still working. Still and working. you know, when after, after my, my wound, and I knew that all my men some years later, all of them were, were killed, and I, that really bothered me because I thought if I was there, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And one day Peggy told me, she said, my wife, she said, think about what you've been doing for the last 26 years. Mm-hmm. How many people you've seen that have alcohol and drug problems and mm-hmm. their lives have become dramatically better. Mm-hmm. 
And I started thinking, well, maybe God had something else we wanted to do, not to be an infantry officer anymore. <laughs> and he uses us. We're not in control. You weren't in control of their lives or who lived and who did not. So it, it's a testament just to your life story that he's using you and you've allowed him to continue to use you. And I also, I remember when I first met both of you, I was so impressed at what I heard you say. And you remember what I said. I said, where have you been all my life? <laughs> we said, where have you been all of our lives? You really are. Every, every time we, we speak, we typically come home with one or two new Little relationships worries. that yeah. stick. And, but you probably are our absolute favorite, favorite treasure of the trail. <laughs> and we already love you dearly. And we're just so thankful that God put our, um, our lives, paths. Yeah, our paths together at this point. And you're stuck with us now, Lou. Yeah, you are. I'm so very happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. As always, and especially because we are celebrating Independence Day, we want you to leave with some thoughts from the perspective of a biblical worldview. In 1797, Sam Adams wrote, and as it is our duty to extend our wishes to the happiness of the great family of man, I conceive that we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly supplicating the supreme ruler of the world, that the rod of tyrants may be broken to pieces and the oppressed made free again, that wars may cease and in all the earth, and that the confusions that are and have been among nations may be overruled by promoting and speedily bringing on that holy and happy period when the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may be ever were established, and all people everywhere willingly bow to the scepter of him who was Prince of Peace. We are by no means kingdom now theologians. We know that America is not God's chosen nation, but we do believe that the American experiment is exceptional as this nation was fundamentally built on the principles of freedom established by God in scripture and recognized by our founders. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18 reads, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we've talked so much about the fact that we don't mask our faces simply because we know the mask is a lie and that masks don't stop the spread of respiratory viruses. We don't mask because we're image bearers of the Most High God made in His image to reveal His glory. And we are not going to accept the shots for the same reason. Job 14.5 says, A man's days are determined and the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. No mask or vaccine can change the number of days God has ordained for us before we were ever born. The beautiful promise of God's sovereignty over life and death is also found in Psalm 139. Highly recommend you read that. Scripture teaches us that man is God's unique creation. Breath is supernatural. Remember that Adam was the only created being that God himself breathed his own breath of life into. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by divine design. The assault against our freedom, our independence, our breath, and our very lives has never been about a virus. We're living through an assault on truth by a government that has deemed that God is dead and self-preservation is the chief end of man. If you've ever catechized your children, you know that the very first question in most catechisms answers the mystery, what is the chief end of man, with the biblical truth that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
take off the mask. Trust God with the number of days he has determined for you. Speak for those who have no voice. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Remember that freedom is God's idea. Fight to preserve that which God has said is true. Let this Independence Day be a day in which you invite God's definition of freedom into your life, your home, and your sphere of influence. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin that all who would repent of their sin and believe upon him would be saved, reconciled to God through Christ and set free from sin and from the fear of death. We would like to challenge you this Independence Day to take part in the second American Revolution. In the words of Dr. Erwin Lutzer, have the courage to walk toward the fire and not run away from the flames. God has brought us to this cultural moment and our future cannot be taken for granted. As has been said, in a time of universal deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So what does courage look like to you, Mindy? Courage for me personally has been just standing in truth. And that's been a cost that we talk about a lot. Some of it has been losing friends and some family members. The cost has been small and maybe I have to drive further to go somewhere else where I'm going to patronize or give my business. Mm -hmm. I've put a lot of things aside. Travel. I retired from an airline after Mm -hmm. 24 years. I can fly for free anywhere I want in the world. Did you think Did you ever think a year ago that you'd find yourself doing the kind of things that you're doing today? Absolutely not. I really did not. I did not think I would even be confined Mm -hmm. to my car to get where I want to go. I always envisioned my travel. That's Mm -hmm. why I put the years in at American so that I would, for the rest of my life, be able to see the world, experience Mm -hmm. a little bit more outside of the realm of just driving around my my neighborhoods or a few states away. Mm-hmm. That's how you, something's really wrong in this country. We've lost even the basic freedom to travel. Yeah. And one of the things that I think we've said from the beginning about courage, and Heidi St. John says this a lot, is that the true crisis that we're in as a country is a crisis it's of a courage. courage. It is. Um, but just like cowardice is contagious, we've seen a lot of contagious cowardice. We have. Um, courage, I think, is more contagious. And... Every single time we talked about always being the only one in the store that didn't have the mask on, always being the one that you felt like you were going against the cultural tide. And we would talk to so many other people who said they knew that what was going on was a lie. They I hope we can remind people when we do what we do, that they do have the courage to do it. And if that's you just and I it. can do it. Exactly. Two stay-at-home homeschool moms. We really should not the ones that are leading the charge. And yet sometimes it feels we are. And it's there have been times when the battle has felt pretty pretty lonely and sobering. But then I feel being recognized sometimes. I've been driving around here lately. And yeah. people have been like taking pictures. Are you thinking like you're headed towards celebrity status or I what's don't know, going on? Right? Mm-hmm. I, I've just been getting notes on my van saying thanks for spreading truth. Mm-hmm. And so you think people are I've like recognizing a- you, or do you think there's something like going on your van that's maybe making you stand out a little bit in North Carolina? Well, maybe it's the van. Hmm. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's my courage as well. As I'm also a stay-at-home mom, but I'm also uh, a professional in the world too. So I drive around in my van, <laughs> see clients as well, and um, I have guerrilla advertising all over my van. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What What is guerrilla advertising and, and why is it on three out of the four sides of your van? And by the way, 
I'm glad you actually didn't let me paint your actual, the... Well, I thought I could put some air by the passenger side that says yeah, truth no. teller, yeah. and it would be small, mm -hmm. like truckers have their names underneath their The doors. way you drive, though, <laughs> I feel like we should at least have the windshield and maybe the left and right left open, because you do need to be able to see. Anyway, we need guerrilla advertising because we're being censored. It's really a, mm -hmm. a sad day. So what kind of things is art, or does your van actually say? What's, what, give me some, give, 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 give us an indication of type of things that have been written over every single windshield on your entire van, but the big one. We have things that link you to find the truth, mm -hmm. like openvares.com. Mm -hmm. That's that's You got really some data and some statistics up there. Yeah, we unfortunately have the death count right now that's going mm -hmm. on, which we were at 6,136, 6, mm -hmm. which what is that? A, to. Knowing that's 1%, typically 1% of actual deaths are captured in the VAERS system. You're looking at potentially 600,000 Americans who've died from these injections. So yep. pretty sobering, but we put the 1% up. We put the actual VAERS data up. We don't in any way put anything that you no. can't link to. That's right. Um, a question I put on one side, do you know that the COVID-19 injections have killed more people in six months than all vaccines combined in 20 years? It's actually up to 30 now, believe it there or not. We're go. gonna have to change we that. Gotta change. Stop medical apartheid, mm -hmm. have that on there. You can text I can to 33222 mm -hmm. to learn the truth about the vaccines or the injections. And you've got a PAVES website on there too. We do education or vaccineeducation.org. Vaccine yep. That's going to take you to North Carolina's PAVES website. We, Mindy and I volunteer for PAVE, People Advocating Vaccine Education. Yep. Um, probably one of just a handful of medical freedom organizations in North Carolina. So check out PAVES website. And thehighwire.com. We have that on the side of the van as yep, well. Absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal billboards. So what kind and of reaction? Fear not, fear not, Job 14, 5, Psalms 139, look it up, and the gospel makes me brave. I have that on the back of the van. Jesus freak, no doubt about it. You self-identified, right? Yeah. So what kind of reactions are you getting when you drive around with your uh, three-sided billboard that you call a minivan? Yeah. I'm getting thumbs ups and they're blowing their horn, they're waving at me, and I have people taking pictures. I have people stopping dead in their tracks while I'm loading my vehicle with groceries, standing there just reading the side of the van. Yeah, and it's actually been a pretty encouraging campaign. My van looks just like yours. Yeah. And I've had a couple of neighbors pop in and we had somebody show up the other day. They were buying something on Facebook Marketplace and she saw it and actually I left my husband her card because she wants to volunteer on our team. And so I think it's a great way to actually get the word out, which brings us to our guerrilla advertising challenge. You want to talk about that? You need to send us on Two Citizen Moms. Our Telegram page, you need to send us some pictures of your guerrilla advertising. Even if you just take something very small, put some truth out there. That can give you courage. That can bridge the conversation with many people who don't have access to it or don't take the time to look at what's happening around us. Yeah, so there's two primary messages that we're asking people to put on the, the windshield windows of their vehicles. Please don't uh, paint the paint. We don't want to be responsible for the destruction of your vehicle or any divorce that may ensue. So the first one we're asking is everybody in big letters, take a, a chalk pen or an acrylic paint pen and on the, your back windshield, just in big old letters, write stop 
Cooper's Vax Passport now so that we are going to get the word out about the vaccine passport system that Cooper has in development. And then you can do some websites, vaccineeducation.org. You can go to openvares.com. You can not only put that website on your vehicle, but like Mindy has done, you can put all of the data. It is a very powerful thing to be driving down the road and have the message, did you know there have been 6,130 whatever deaths from the COVID-19 vaccine and have people actually be looking at, they're not hearing this on mainstream media. No, they're not. And we have it right on our uh, Telegram page, to Citizen Moms, but the way you search for us is TWO Citizen Moms. On Telegram. Yeah. And the second call to action that we have for you relates to House Bill 572. Mm-hmm. And as the way that bill crossed over, it really wasn't worth the piece of paper that it was written on. Very benign. But we have added some amendments to it and have been working with one of the senators over in the North Carolina General Assembly. But we don't know what this amendment's going to look like when it comes out. We don't know what it's going to look like. We just know what we've asked. And so we have asked for essentially three, four amendments to 572 to be added. Yeah, and those amendments were basically to stop coercion, which Mm -hmm. is like the lottery. So that's positive coercion. You're getting paid vacation time off. Mm -hmm. You're getting incentives in your paychecks, $50 gift cards, whatever this is. Negative negative coercion coercion. would be if you don't take the vaccine, you've got to wear a mask. You've got to have a nasal swab shoved up your nose into your brain three to five times a week. I don't know. You've got to socially distant, be excluded from various meetings or opportunities to socialize or work. You've got to wear a mask when other people don't have to wear a mask. But this is a the angle of the public sector. sector. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, they wouldn't take anything from us on the private end. So we're hoping, I don't know if we're going to put a nail in our coffin over 572. Honestly, we're going to be very transparent about that. But they're the ones, the public sector put it on the doorsteps of the private sector. The government. The gov- so if the hoping- government can be restrained, perhaps the private sector will drop all of the insanity. Yeah. And the private sector will have a choice. Well, and then we will be able to vote with our dollars. You don't have to opt into that app. You do not get to share our data from the government over to the private sector. So if you want to go to the XYZ store and they say, you got to download an app and we get to track and trace you. The amendment would actually prevent Prevent the government from being able to share that data. We have the question, how did they get the names into the lottery system when they drew the name last week for the lottery? Our, private our, our information, database. our database. Yeah. So I hope everybody recognizes that the lottery was proof that we do have a public database that has already been set up and established in the state of North Carolina. And we happen to know, working on our team, that this database is quick, quickly um, going to transition into a passport system. And 572, we, we hope, is to prevent them from pushing that over into the private sector and allowing them to use that information. You should only opt into it if you want to opt into it. So we've asked, so in the amendments, we've asked for uh, 572 to prevent the database from being shared, to prevent the passport system from being developed or implemented from the, and to stop the passport. Yeah, for, to stop, stop the passport and the coercion. And then we've also asked for there to be an established age of consent in North Carolina that children under the age of 18 could not consent to get any injection, not just COVID 19. We don't know what's going to come out. 
but we've asked for the age of consent in North Carolina to be raised to 18. For those of you unaware, North Carolina does not have an established age of consent. And if a healthcare worker determines that your child is intelligent enough to give consent, they can vaccinate your child without your presence or permission. And that is horrifying. It's actually, it's disgusting. So we need to emphasize informed consent here Mm -hmm. for, for all of us. And there's not enough information for informed consent. We need to make our calls, our emails, in-person sit-downs if you can, flood the members of the Senate and the House, and we have that on vaccineeducation.org. They have the call to action. They have the link for you to find your senators' names and emails and phone numbers, as well as the House. We just need a simple and clean, we want to stop the vaccine mandates and passports. And it's our understanding that they are on break for the next week. They come back the 7th of July. They come back the 7th of July. So you can send an email between now and then, send a postcard, you can call, but if you're gonna visit in person, they're not gonna be back until July 7th. And they have given us their word that they're gonna get to work on this immediately when they return. So this is really pressing at this point because we see the writing on the wall. We We know what's coming. So that is that wraps it up for today, right? It does. Yeah, so we are going to go hop in the pool and call it a weekend. Thanks so much for joining us today.
down to the river